Minnesota. Wow. That's amazing. And then they come on. Yeah, yeah, and then they came A little story about a, a, a little boy who's about six years old, and um, he caught his pastor right after church, and he handed him a five-dollar bill, and just scampered along his way and went to his family. The pastor's kind of thinking, "Wow, look at the five-dollar bill. It's kind of sweet." The kid, the next week, the kid saves up some more money to make his allowance when he hands his pastor five-dollar bill, and he does the same thing. The third week, he kind of catches him and goes, "Son, why you know?" It's sweet what you're doing here, but uh, you know, where are you getting this money? And uh, he said, Well, I save up my allowance and I'm giving it to you. And I said, That's really sweet. Why are you doing that? He said, Well, my dad said you're the poorest preacher we've ever had. So, be careful, kiss your teeth, though. <laughs> Don't get any ideas. Will you pray with me, God? Thank you, Lord, again for this day. Thank you for your presence that is with us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here to um, make the Word of God come alive to us. Lord, I was just thinking about this the other day that, uh, Lord, um, unless your Spirit is here bringing, bringing life, um, these are just simply words that I would speak. And um, God, use go beyond that and, uh, and Lord, let. Holy Spirit, make the Word of God come alive, to speak to us, to um, to change us, to transform us, to make us more like Jesus every day. So Lord, we give you this time in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, we continue today in this series called Figure Two. Um, if you are just joining us, the, the inspiration for this series um, comes from the Book of Nehemiah. Um, in Nehemiah, it's an Old Testament uh, character. He was. Uh, a guy that was an Israelite. The Israelites, um, as a people, had been scattered from their land um, through disobedience to God. They had sinned. Um, there were prophetic words and prophetic warnings that God was saying, come back to me, and they were kind of bent on doing their own thing, and, and, and sinfulness took them into being the God of their own lives. And I think that that's ultimately, as we read this story, that's ultimately all of our problems is sinfulness, is us taking control, us being the God of our own lives. And we see Israel as a whole, they were bent on rejecting God. We don't need you, we will do our own thing. God would use prophetic words, prophetic voices to call them back, come back to God, I have a plan for you. And, and God's one of God's warnings was this. Way before this happened in the book of Nehemiah, God says, if you continue to forsake me, if you continue to go your own way, there will be consequences to your sinfulness. And God was wanting to save them from that. Um, you know, in the book of Jeremiah 29, one of our favorite passages, and people use this a lot, um, you know, maybe the graduations where I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Anybody familiar with that? Plans to give you a hope and a future to prosper you. Well, if you read a few verses before, it's not so lovely and pretty. Those parts you wouldn't put on your fridge uh, because God is actually saying you will go into exile because of your sinfulness. This, you, you are, you, you, there will be consequences to your sin, but even in that, I'm going to use it and I still will have a plan for you, declares the Lord. That there is hope 
when we belong to Christ. There is hope when we belong to God. And God will continually, as He did the people of Israel, He continues to call us back to Himself. Don't be the God of your own life. Come back to me. And so at this time in history, the children of Israel are scattered all over the place. There's groups all over the place. And they've lost their homeland. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down. So it is a dark, horrible time in history for Israel. And we find Nehemiah, this man, in this book that we have, uh, kind of tucked away in Israel's history, we have this man, Nehemiah, who is working for a foreign king. He is his cupbearer, which is not a job that you really want. In other words, somebody was going to poison the king, the cupbearer was the first one to endure that. So he would drink the wine before the king would drink it. And so Nehemiah, who is the servant of the king, God calls him, he puts his hand on him, and he has a plan and a mission to go and rebuild the temple. That God has planned, and He's beginning to bring the people back to Jerusalem. And so I believe that this book that we see and the inspiration that we have in this story, it's God's call to us individually that we look at areas of our lives that may have been torn down, broken down, where we have we've walked in sinfulness, we've, we've been the God of our own lives, and maybe we've endured some consequences, but the mercy of God has been called to us to say, come back to me and I will restore you. I will redeem you. I will help rebuild your life, but you will do it with me. And so that's kind of context. And I believe that, again, as we look at principles from the book of Nehemiah as they speak to us. So let's look at the, this is kind of our key passage. This is kind of the end of this story. This is the good news. It says, so on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. So they call, come together. They begin to rebuild. People are have their place. There's enemies of Israel trying to fight against them to, to not rebuild the wall. And so they had to endure some of that. But they kept on keeping on. They kept their eyes on God. They kept their focus on God. They fought together. They worshiped together. They lifted up. And God helped them restore, rebuild, and redeem that which was broken down. And so it's all because, again, it was broken down because of disobedience and sinfulness. But God calls him back and says, If you return to me, I will restore you and I will redeem you. And the first step that we look toward, toward, this, toward this good news, how they got here to rebuild, and I started that with, with prayer. Nehemiah gets word that the walls are torn down and he is he's grieved in his heart, but he begins to pray. And we talked about the importance of prayer. The, the purpose of prayer is not for us to bring a list to God. The purpose of prayer is to know God and be known by God. It's a relationship. God is calling us to relationship with Himself. That is the purpose of prayer. And then last week we talked about repentance. That that that, that uh, Nehemiah moved. The first thing out of his mouth was, "Oh, and it was not. Oh, God, the walls are torn down. Help us out of this mess." He said, "God, you are awesome." And you're full of love. God, you are awesome and you are full of love. This declaration of who God is, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what bad is going on, God, you are awesome and you love us. Then he moves beyond that and he begins to repent for the sins of the people and his own sins. I'm not going to read that again. But repentance, guys, is... If the purpose of prayer is to know God, then repentance is our reconciling back to God. It is the healing and the restoring of our relationship with God. It's understanding that God didn't leave, we did. 
And we come back to Him, and He has always been there with open arms to embrace us, to take us into Himself, and we are the ones who are. And so repentance is saying, I understand, I recognize that, I mourn my sin, and I come back to you, God, because in you I find hope and I find life. And so if prayer is knowing God, repentance is reconciling back to God. It's recognizing that I've gone my own way. And which has led to sin. And I've rejected God. I've rejected His ways. And I've become God of my own life. Repentance is grieving that sin and mourning that sin. Ultimately, that has broken the relationship with God. It's taking ownership of my sin. It's not making excuses. And that's why I call today the gift of repentance, because repentance really from God is a gift to us. When He calls us to Himself, it is a gift. It is a beautiful gift. My story, I'm not going to get into my story, I've shared that before, but um, I tell you, I, I, was going, I, was, I was going through a really dark time in my life early on in my marriage to Athena, and I was just really, I was dealing with some very heavy things. And I would pray, and I would... I would feel sorry for my sins, but God was calling me to spirit and power change. Does that make sense? Because true repentance leads to spirit and power change. To be different. I was sorry, but God wanted to transform me and make me different. Because it seemed like that no matter how sorry I was, I would still run into that wall over and over and over and over again. It was a very frustrating thing. I cried out and I was. But, but God was calling me for some specific things to, to, to put to death that sin that was lurking inside of me. Because every time I would be sorry, God, please forgive me. Um, and and I, I know that you have something for me. There was that wall, that loving thing that God was saying, I want to make you different, not just sorry. I want to change you. And it's going to take you walking with me. Because again, this is a relationship. And through the process of relationship, you begin to feel those chains kind of break away. And then when I finally came clean, and when I finally repented truly, and I stopped making excuses for it, and I stopped, you know, uh, flirting with it, getting as close to the sin as I possibly could, because that's what I would do. I was sorry, but then I would get as close to it as, as, as I could, and it would always lead me back into it. And it was a gift to me, and I hit this wall in grace. Because ultimately, see, God wants us to be free. He wants us to be free. Walking with Him, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And He wants to bring us from just sorrow to being different. And so, I'm not going to read it again, but Nehemiah, after his prayer of saying, God, you are awesome. God, you are loving. He begins to say this. Again, you can look at this later. I, 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 I had this past last week. But he begins to say, Lord, I understand why the walls are torn down. It's because of our sin. And he just begins to take ownership. He says, God, forgive us as the people of Israel. And he just begins to say, God, forgive us all. But then he says, forgive my Father's house, forgive me. He takes personal ownership. We all recognize that we have gone our way, uh, our own way, and I, and I recognize that, and I'm coming clean before you. And he just begins to say, God, forgive us. It's not you that has gone away. I have gone away. And we remove, we, we remove the sin and the shame, and we run back to you. 
And he calls out to God, God, forgive us. Forgive us. It's a relational prayer. Again, you don't see him in condemnation himself. I'm going to get into that in a moment. You don't see him just feeling condemned. He feels the loving conviction of God. Remember his first, again, prayer is relationship with God. God, you're awesome and you're full of love. And therefore, I understand that the relationship has been broken down and I want that back. God, forgive us. It's a relational prayer. Then he remembers the promise of redemption. He said, God, you promised through Moses. And even back in those days, God, God spoke through the leader Moses. And God said, stay with me. If you, if you depart from me, you will be scattered. But when you, if you return to me, here's the promise of God. Here's the heartbeat of God. Here's the restoring quality of God. And he thinks, if you come back to me, I will gather you to myself. It doesn't matter even those who are the farthest away. And he even said that some are scattered way, way, way away. I will gather them back. If you guys return to me, I will restore you and redeem you. Because my, my plan for you is still good. And so he, rem- he, he remembers the redemption of God. God hears our sincere prayers. We talked about Psalm 51 last week, and when David blew it majorly, here's David who loved God, but he had a major moral failure. Committed adultery, had her husband killed. It's a, it's a horrible story, but in Psalm 51, he cries out to God, and then he says, He's a broken and a contrite spirit. God, you will not despise. You don't despise that. When somebody makes this sincere move towards God, he doesn't despise that. And so this, this, this beautiful word of repentance has gotten a bad rap, and I said that last week. A lot of times hear the word repent, and you think of some angry preacher yelling and screaming at people. Um, is that bothering anybody else? That flickering light. If we could have that, it's the, uh, the east side lights, if we could shut that down. Uh, as much as I love strobe lights, um, probably not when I'm preaching. It's like, whoa, people are moving. But we see this, 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 uh, this beauty of repentance all throughout Scripture. Again, God uses leaders, He uses prophets. Even when Jesus stepped in on the scene, His love and grace was that He says, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And again, that, that thing of repentance is turning from my sin and its spirit and power change to live differently. Recognizing my sin. So I want to look at the scriptures today and unpack them a little bit over the next few minutes on this gift of repentance and God's heart for us as we walk in that He wants to redeem, uh, redeem and redeem. Let's restore and redeem all together. In Tennessee, we make up our own words. It's really awesome. But to see His desire for us as we walk with Him and His heart for us. The first one is Psalm 32, and it's going to be up on the screen. This is actually, some theologians believe that this was another psalm that David wrote after the issue with Bathsheba, as of what I just told you about. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. So some theologians believe that this is the other psalm. But listen to the heartbeat of this, okay? I want you to hear the heart of a life that God redeems and, 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 and forgives. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. When you repent, God does not hold their sin against you. Isn't that beautiful? 
The enemy wants to try to remind you of the sins that you committed in the past, even yesterday. And when you repented, God says, I don't hold those against you. You shouldn't hold them against yourself or let the enemy lie to you and condemn you. He said, when I, but here, here's the thing. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. In other words, I was trying to hide. He hid his sins for the longest time. This was my story that I just told you about. When I, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And there's a torment when, when we don't confess and repent of our sins. There's a torment in our hearts. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was staff is in the heat of the summer. And again, that the hand of God, and says when your hand is on me, that's that loving, fatherly discipline that he gives us because he preaches like his children. He says, I don't want you to just live with that sin. I don't want you to learn how to master living with the sin. I want to set you free from it. So God's hand was heavy. He said, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. So he just brought it into the light. He just said, I no more. I'm going to just, I'm going to break it out. And he said, I, I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The power of that confession, the power of receiving the forgiveness of God, the freedom, the cleansing of God. He doesn't hold our guilt against it. Let's look at the next one, 2 Corinthians 7. So, in context, you know, Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthian church. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians. Amazing, right? Um, in the book of Second Corinthians, he is he's right here. What he is talking about is some issues that he was dealing with them in the first letter, because he was he had dealt with them on some very heavy issues in the first letter. He was dealing with them about favoritism, judgmentalism. Uh, uh, you know, Sexual sin. I mean, he was dealing with some heavy, heavy things that they were doing. And again, he was lovingly calling them out, saying, "God wants, He wants best for you, and He is calling you away from that." And so, here's what he says to them: He says, "Even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it." That can sound a little heavy-handed, but he understands. Again, I don't want you to just get used to living in sin. It caused you sorrow, but I don't regret it. Though I did regret it. So you can almost hear him wrestling about this. Probably, you know, he writes and you're like, oh, should I have written that? Should I have not written that? But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes it. And he's wrestling. Are they going to receive it or not? That's why it's so important to have people in your life that you allow to speak into your life and, 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 and lovingly call you out. It's not for shame, but it's saying, how are you doing in that area? He said, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry. Again, I, I, I got no joy in that. But because your sorrow led you to repentance. Your sorrow led you to change. And that's again, repentance is spirit empowered change. He said, For you became sorrowful as God intended. And so there's a, there's a, there's a sorrow that God intends for us. And so. You were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So this father of this church, he lovingly rebukes them. He's saying God's discipline. Hebrews 12 again talks about God's discipline is a beautiful thing. 
because His discipline is pure. His discipline is for life, for us, and for our good, and for our freedom. And, and He discusses you when He disciplines you, He treats you as a child. And he says, I don't, I don't want you to be sorry just because you got caught. You know, sometimes when you're kids, you catch them and they go, I'm sorry. And there's really not that real heart of repentance, you know what I'm saying? I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, you know, it's like, that's what I'm sorry about. I remember those days. He said, I don't want you to just be sorry that you got caught. Not truly sorry. Because ultimately that leads you to not changing and not being transformed. And that's again the difference between God and the enemy. The enemy brings guilt, shame, condemnation, reminds you of your sins, says God can't use you, God still holds that over you, you will always be trapped by that, that's a sin that you're going to constantly deal with. And God is over here and He says, I love you, His discipline, His conviction, His discipline. That, that, that knock on your heart that says, don't do that, it's because he loves us. He's the big picture, and he's a loving parent that is trying to keep us on the right path. And sometimes we get, we, 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 we bleed those lines together, and we respond in shame and guilt and condemnation. But when you respond to shame, guilt, and condemnation, you might be sorry for a little bit, and that weighs heavy on you, but it will not change you. After a while, you go right back into it. That was my story. I feel bad, I feel guilty, I'm sorry, God. And it was not truly changing. But when you start responding to the loving conviction and discipline of God, this is, again, this is about relationship. This is about restoring your relationship, walking with me every day. It leads to freedom. That's why he said, godly sorrow leads you to change. Worldly sorrow leads you to death. And godly sorrow is that I'm hurt and I'm grieved because I've affected the relationship. It's like in an earthly relationship, you know, when you've done something that has affected the relationship, you feel, you feel bad and you want to, ultimately you don't want to just say, I'm sorry, but you want to restore the relationship. And that's the way God wants us to respond to Him. Godly sorrow that leads us to change. Here's the next one, Acts 3. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, okay? So the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2. We understand it. You know, it's the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. There's lots of people in Jerusalem. The, the disciples go out, they're proclaiming the gospel in the different languages of the people there. And Peter stands up and he begins to preach. Because people are saying, what in the world is going on? This is the, this is the, the birthplace of the church, how the church started. And so all these people see this phenomenon that, that, you know, that's going on, and, and, and the Holy Spirit has come, and they're like, what is going on? And so Peter begins to preach, and one of the declarations here, here's the church starting, the very beginning of the church. We are here today because of what they did in Acts. The church continues. And here's one of the foundational messages that Peter preached, and he says this, repent. In other words, turn from your sin, turn from you being God, turn away, reject the sin, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That our repentance and our change, it actually, there's a refreshing in our soul, a cleansing. You know when things are made right, that, that internal cleansing feeling that you get? It's a beautiful thing. 
when you confess the sins and you make that right, there's that refreshing, that cleansing that you talk about, that kind of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. In other words, you can lay your head down at night and you are cleansed and you can sleep well. And there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no condemnation that you have made those things right with God and you're walking In the next one, Isaiah 57. Interestingly enough, this is in the context of the time of Nehemiah. The people are scattered. This is one of the prophets that spoke during this time. So it's a parallel time of when they were in exile. And I want you to hear God's heart to the repentant. God says, rebuild the road, clear the way. The rocks will come from. Many people can return from captivity calling them back. The high and lofty one who lives in the of the Holy One says this, to God is speaking, I live in a high and holy place with those who fear by contrite and humble, but with tender heart. That's the heart that gets my attention. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and I revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. You see God's heart for us when we return to Him, when we respond to Him? For I will not fight against you forever. I will not always be angry. If I were, all people would pass away. All the souls I have made, because he's an awesome and holy God. Verse 17, I was angry, so I punished you through the people. I withdrew from them, but they kept going on their own stubborn way. In other words, they said, we are content to be God of our own lives, and we reject you. And they walked in consequences. I see what they do, but I will heal them anyway. I will lead them. I will comfort those who mourn, bringing words of praise to their lips. May they have abundant peace, both near and far, says the Lord, who heals them. But those who still reject me are like the restless sea, which is never still, but continually turns up in my word. So he, he is the one who lives with those that are humble at heart. Those who are walking humility before him. Realizing their need of Him, I will lead them, I will comfort them, I will heal them. The beauty of repentance, the promise of repentance. But notice he says, those who reject me, they are like a restless sea, never still. You know, when people are walking in sin and they're walking their own way, there is this agitation that is continually churning in their heart. They're never at rest, they're never at peace, and they're searching for one thing after another to try to find some sort of rest and some sort of peace for their soul. He said, those who reject me, they are like a restless sea, and they can continue to churn up mud and dirt. God said, you don't have to live like that. You can live in grace and peace and healing. The reason why they are restless, the best of mercy of God, is that I don't want you to be content without me. And I love this passage from Isaiah because it sounds a lot like what Jesus said in the first three Beatitudes. Remember Jesus' sermon. This starts in Matthew 5. We're going to look at the first three verses here. This is from the New Living Translation. Here's what, here's what Jesus says. And there's a real parallel here to that Isaiah 57. So Jesus comes on the scene. He's preaching. He said, God blesses those who are poor, and we, we would say poor in spirit, and realize their need for Him. God blesses people that, 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 that realize their need for Him. He said, for the kingdom of heaven is there. God blesses those who mourn. Mourn what? They mourn their sin. They will be comforted. And then God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. That's, that's a description of repentance. 
That's a description of what Isaiah, just what, that we read just there, that he declares in, in, in chapter 57. Jesus is saying, blessed to those who realize their need for me. That we wake up every morning and say, Jesus, I desperately need you today. I'm, I, I, I make that my prayer every morning. God, I need you today. Because I know, left to my own devices, I know what I'm capable of, and it's not good. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you to help me to step through the day. Jesus, I need you to help me walk free from sin, those things that so easily put me up if I give them room. God, help me. I live for you every day. And it's a day-in, day-out relational walk with Christ. He gives us freedom and shame as we walk with Him. And again, don't forget that it's relational. And then I'm going to close with this one from the beginning. I love this passage. Jesus is dealing with a group of people. You can see that to some who were confident on their, of their own righteousness, in other words, people that were full of themselves, they're confident of their own good behavior. He's going to tell them a story. He said, to some who were confident in their own righteousness, and they look down on everyone else. This is that spiritually prideful they are. They think that they're just, you know, that they're, 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 they're spiritually awesome, and they just kind of look down their noses. We're up here, you're down there. We're, we're walking up here with God, and you're kind of down there, and you kind of want to be me. And he, he's dealing with spiritual pride here. Those who look down on everyone, Jesus told this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Listen to the Pharisee stood by himself. Listen to this prayer. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. That's not a repentant prayer if you were wondering. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. In other words, you see him that he's classifying the big sins. You know, he's a, the Pharisees were, you know, they were, they were the, they were the keepers of the law back in the day. They were the rights they loved, you know, Jesus said they loved to go parade around and they loved to be called teachers and they loved to be seen. They would pray out loud in public and people would just go, oh man, these guys are incredible. And Jesus was not impressed with their hearts at all. And so this guy, he's their technical lawgiver and he's like, you know, thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. In other words, the, the scum of the earth, and he's classifying sin. Or even like this tax collector. So the guy is there praying with him, and he even points him out. That's also not a repentant prayer. If you're next to someone, God, thank you that I'm not like this guy. He's so bad. But how often do we promote our own self-righteousness? Maybe we are not quite this obvious, but sometimes in the deceit of our own hearts that we say, well, at least I'm not dealing with that. And we don't mind a little lie here, a little compromise there. And we make ourselves feel better that I'm not, at least I'm not like that. And then he goes into his good works. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. So he's like, I'm not, thank you God that I'm not, that I'm not committing one of the really bad sins that he classified. I'm not like this guy. And thank you God, pretty much what he's saying is thank you God that I'm, I'm awesome. Thank you God that I am 
really great. I, I, I do it. Look, God, look at all that I'm doing for you. And then in contrast, we see the tax collector stood at a distance. And he would not even look up to heaven, but he, he beat his breast. The tax collectors, I'm telling you, they, they were, of the day, they were not, they were not regarded in high esteem at all. You've got to understand that they would cheat people of their taxes to support the Roman government, who was the oppressive, cruel force there. And so people saw tax collectors coming and they did not like them. And they, could, they found loopholes to take advantage of people all the time. Isn't it interesting that Jesus called Matthew, who was the guy that would be one of his followers, saw something in his heart. And here's this guy who realizes this sin and he starts eating his death. And he says, God have mercy on you, That's all he says. Jesus said, I'll tell you, this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. What does that mean, justified? This guy went home in right relationship with God. The other guy is walking in a delusion. He's religious, he's self-righteous, he thinks he's awesome, and he is missing the heart of God. He's missing the relational aspect of God. And this guy who just said, God, forgive me, a sinner, God, because I hear that prayer, and I love that God. I want to be like that God. Because we are all broken and we need a Savior. And we need to wake up every day realizing without Him, I am a broken mess. Without Him, I will stumble and fall, but with Him, I can do all things. And He's got a plan and a purpose for us. God, give me a heart like that God. Jesus said, it. He went home justified for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Your choice. God, give us the heart of this other guy, not the self-pious religious actions, but an honest and transparent heart that wants to be right with God, wants to be in a right relationship with God. And I believe that, that through this idea, this gift of repentance, God wants us to walk regularly and daily in repentance. Being right with God and right with others. That the fruit of repentance, it, and in the first place, the first priority should be our relationship with God, but it affects even what we do with others. It makes me a repentant person. That way we can go to others and we, you know, Jesus said the two great commandments, love God, love other people, being in right relationship with God, being in right relationship with others. And when we're in right relationship with Him and we have this repentant heart, we understand the gift of repentance that all of a sudden it makes me want to be in right relationship to say, I am sorry to other people. I don't know why it's so hard for us when we've blown it to go to a person and say, I am sorry, I was wrong. There's nothing more powerful than that. To our spouses, to our children, to our friends, to our co-workers, to those that we have done wrong, to those that we have walked in sin against, whether immediately against them or maybe it was something passive that we did, but that we go and we say, I was wrong. Again, not that I'm just sorry that I got caught and I'm just sorry and then I'm not going to change, but by God's help, by the Spirit, I'm going to change. And I'm going to walk differently. I'm going to be a new creation in Christ. So it's reconciling relationship with God, reconciling relationship with others. Who do you need to make things right with? Begin with God. 
And I believe Jesus is saying today, come to me, you're not too far gone. Just like the promise of Nehemiah, even though it's the farthest horizons, you're not too far gone. Doesn't matter the sins that you've committed, doesn't matter the shame, the guilt of your past, Jesus is saying, come to me today, I want to restore you. I want to redeem you. I want to rebuild your life. I want to, I want you to walk in the plans and the purposes and the destiny that you were created for. But when he says this, I'm asking you to repent. I'm giving you the gift of repentance to turn away from that and walk with me in relationship so that I can help transform you to be a different person. It's a gift. It's a gift that leads to freedom. It's a gift that leads to contentment. It's a gift that leads to life. So repentance becomes clean. It doesn't make excuses. It doesn't blame. It takes responsibility and it doesn't justify. But it's a godly sorrow that leads us to life, to contentment, and purpose in Christ. We stand with Father, in Jesus' name, we come for you, God. And again, we thank you for the gift of repentance. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for Lord, your call to our hearts. Is I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be reconciled to you. And Lord, we admit that when we do our own thing, God, it is us that veers off, not you. And we've gone our own way. It says this in Isaiah 53. It says, we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And so he bore our sins on the cross. This is how, this is why we have the exchange from when we repent and he gives us life, he gives us peace, he gives us freedom. It was because of the cross, this torturous death of Jesus, that God laid on him the sins of all of us. Every sin you committed, Jesus bore on the, on the cross. Because he loves you that much. And so, Lord, help us to live repentant lives. God, help us to walk in freedom every single day. Help us to walk with you every day. Lord, help us to fight the good fight. Because some days it's going to be hard. Some days you're going to go through heavy things. And that's where that spiritual warfare in a couple weeks, I'm going to be sharing about spiritual warfare. Because the battle is real. Continue to fight the good fight of faith, but don't fight alone. Realize your need of God. Turn to Him every day and walk with Him. And God, we thank you for the gift of repentance. Lord, help us to walk in life. Help us to walk in purpose. Help us to walk with you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.